Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, provided by Living Stream Ministry and featuring the ministry of Watchman Nee and Witness Lee. Witness Lee served the Lord faithfully for more than 70 years, culminating with his exhaustive commentary on the entire scriptures called Life Study of the Bible. We're happy to bring you recorded excerpts from his ministry. At the end of the program, we'll give you the website where you can find out more about the remarkable ministry of these two men. But for now, we hope you enjoy today's program. The book of Acts has been studied throughout the centuries primarily as a book of history, the history of the early Christian church. But beyond this kind of surface examination lie the great and profound insights into God's economy, his purpose as it relates to his plan and his dealings with man. This deeper exploration of one of the great books of Scripture continues on today's Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee. This program is furnished by Living Stream Ministry. And as it is our practice, once again, we'll bring you recorded excerpts from the spoken ministry of Witness Lee, who together with Watchman Nee labored in China in the gospel and establishing churches in the 1920s and 30s. Dennis Agashi is back with us once again today as we look into Acts chapter 14. Dennis, we appreciate having your help. This is a very interesting look today into the book of Acts. It surely is, Chris. I look forward to the broadcast today. Dennis, we're in the middle chapters now in the book of Acts and in these recent programs, we've talked extensively about how this book depicts a dispensational transfer. There are two ways to understand the word dispensation. Uh, one is to see it as an age or an era. But is that really the sense that Witness Lee is going to be talking about in our life study program today? No, Chris, it isn't. This word dispensation does not just mean an age or an era or a period of time. Rather, it is the divine arrangement in God's eternal economy. And this word, Chris, economy, is a little enigmatic to us. When we think of economy, we think of dollars. So it's easy to, to get distracted. This is a New Testament word which means, in a simple way, God's economy is God's New Testament revelation. What is revealed in the New Testament in its entirety, in its content, is God's economy. And this is what we want to focus on today. And this is what Witness Lee means when he uses the word economy. I think you pointed out at the very beginning that these life studies bring us into the insight of God's economy. Another way to describe it is it just opens up God's heart. Whatever is in God's heart, his economy, his good pleasure, his will, these are all the items related to God's economy. Well, we are certainly at the point of a transfer, a turn in direction in God's move on the earth, and it very much involves this economy that you described for us. And by that, again, we reemphasize we're not talking about dollars and cents. We're talking about a divine economy. That's correct, which really means a dispensing of God himself, the addition of God himself, or the allocation of God. God is so rich in who he is in his person, and he dispenses himself, or he allocates himself to all his dear believers. Well, Dennis, let's jump in to today's life study with Witness Lee from Acts chapter 14. Acts is a book of God's economy, showing us God's dispensation showing us the divine arrangements in God's eternal plan. It seems in chapter 14 you couldn't see much concerning the divine arrangement of God's economy. 
Yet, if you get into it, you could see something. Okay, Paul and Barnabas went into the synagogue, and there gained quite a following. A great multitude believed, both of the Jews and of the Gentiles. Then, in verse three, we are told that these two apostles testified to the word of the Lord's grace. This phrase, the word of the Lord's grace, denotes some dispensational point. The Jewish people in all the synagogues reading the Old Testament, they learn to know the word of God's commandment. But Paul edified the new believers by testifying the word of the Lord's grace. Here it doesn't say they preached, they taught, but they testified. This means the word of grace was there, existing already. What the apostles did was to testify, and by that time, don't forget, they only have the Old Testament. From the Old Testament, Paul testified that the word of the Lord's grace was there already. Now, sorry, Luke didn't give us record. I surely like to have a tape <laughs> of Paul's testifying. Don't you think it'd be wonderful if that could be taped down? And today we can listen to that tape, how Paul testified the word of the Lord's grace, even in the Old Testament. I can uh, point out to you a few verses. For instance, Genesis 3.15, the seed of woman. Wasn't that the word of the Lord's grace? After eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Adam and Eve were hiding themselves from God, and the voice of God sounded out, Adam, where are you? They were scared to death. This sound, surely God comes that they would die. But not the word of death came out. Not the word of judgment came out. Not the word of condemnation came out, but the word of grace. And at that time, those two seeking ones were hating that serpent to the uttermost. Don't you think so? But Genesis 3.15, in that verse, God condemned the serpent and gave both Adam and Eve a word of grace. There will be a seed of the woman. If I were Eve, there, listen to this word, I will be happy. I will have a seed. And this seed of mine will bruise the head of that hateful servant. Isn't this the word of grace? Paul testified the word of the Lord's grace from the Old Testament. Then another seed in Genesis 12, the seed of Abraham. In your seed, Abraham, the whole earth, with all the families, will be blessed. Isn't this the word of grace? 
the Jews, they didn't have the light to see. In the Old Testament, it is full of the words of the Lord's grace. Not just law, 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 Moses, Moses, but the seed of the woman, the seed of Abraham. I'm not Paul, of course, I cannot compare with Paul. Yeah, still, I can boost, I could pick up a lot of words of the Lord's grace in the Old Testament. A child will be born of a virgin. And his name will be called Emmanuel. Isn't this the word of grace? A child is born, and a son is given, and yet his name is called the mighty God, the everlasting Father. Isn't this the word of grace in Old Testament? Dennis, we see in these chapters, particularly chapter 13 and 14, that Paul by now had a habit of going to new places, and immediately he would go into the synagogue to speak. Uh, In chapter 14, we find Paul and Barnabas in Iconium, and verse 3 says, Therefore they spent a considerable amount of time speaking with boldness in the Lord, who testified to the word of his grace by granting signs and wonders to be done through their hands comment on this phrase, the word of his grace. I was intrigued by this. Why is this significant in the context of Paul speaking in the synagogue? Chris, I'd like to come back to the matter of God's economy. God's economy is to put himself, to add himself into others. And this is very much related to the word of his grace. The divine record does not say that Paul testified to the word of God's law. This is the Old Testament experience, and this is the Old Testament method. But in the New Testament, in the New Testament revelation, the apostles testified to the word of his grace. This primarily means God as grace coming to man to be enjoyed by man, and man having a certain issue. The issue of enjoying this very triune God is really a change in life. And you can see how this very much is recorded in the book of Acts. I like this word, Chris, the word of his grace. This simply means the word of God's dispensing, the word of God adding himself. In the New Testament, the entire thought is not that we would just keep the law, not that we would try to be better, not that we would try to be perfect, but allow God, by opening ourselves to him, to dispense and to add his very element into us, making us different, doing something within us. This is the thought behind the word of his grace. Dennis, let me come back to a phrase that you used here when you said a change in life. A lot of times we hear about Christians or people of any religious persuasion who will talk about a, quote, life-changing experience. Mm -hmm. Normally what's implied there, what is really meant, is kind of a change of lifestyle, of life activity. We're not talking about that here, are we? In this economy of God, this kind of dispensing, this sense of the word dispensing, We really are talking about the dispensing of God's life, a new life coming into it. Is that what we really are trying to get at in this context? Absolutely. This really, you've described it well, Chris, this is really not just a turning over of a new leaf, just a change in living in this kind of way. This really means the addition of another life, addition of another nature, which is God himself. Spontaneously, automatically, the nature and the life of God changes us within. This is the intrinsic meaning. It is not we read something from the Bible, we agree with it, and we try to change ourselves. These are the resolutions that never 
uh, get accomplished. But this is an opening to the Lord who is the triune God who dispenses his very self and his nature into us, causing a metabolic, organic, intrinsic change in us. I believe that the Apostle Paul, of course, was uh, somewhat laboring to help bring the hearers into this view. I appreciated the phrase that was in verse 3 that we read. Therefore, they spent a considerable amount of time speaking with boldness in the Lord. Uh, it sounds like he was somewhat hammering home this point, Dennis. It seems like that's, that's true, Chris. Let's go back to more of Witness Lee. Paul, oh, this excellent person. I couldn't know by what way he dug out the holy and the faithful things referring to the resurrected Christ. In the preceding chapter, chapter 13, he was preaching Christ in resurrection. By what? By such a verse. The holy and faithful things of David. Who can understand that phrase? The holy and faithful things of David refers to Christ in resurrection. Nobody can do this. He dug out the things from the depths which no one can do it. When we were in chapter 2, we were excited in Peter's preaching. Peter was great to give that kind of a message concerning the resurrected Christ. Here, Paul's digging points out to us in resurrection, Christ becomes the firstborn son of God. In the entire Christianity, it might be hard for us to hear that Christ's resurrection was his birth. Have you ever heard this? In his resurrection, God begat Christ to be his son, the firstborn son. And the firstborn son is not for the embodiment of the divine life, but for the propagating of the divine life, because while he was born in his resurrection, we all were born with him. Paul's digging was much deeper. He dug out that Christ in his resurrection was born to be the propagating factor of the divine life. He was born to be the firstborn son of God for the propagating reproduction of the divine life. Also, Paul dug out that Christ in his resurrection became all the holy and trustworthy and sure things. Sure mercy is nothing than Jesus. Not Jesus in his first birth but Jesus in his second birth, Jesus in his resurrection. My Paul's digging. I sure admire his study of the Bible. Here, also, in the word of the Lord's grace, there is the denotation of the change of the dispensation. Later on, you could see, James referred to this matter for generations. The Jews read the Old Testament in the synagogues. What they heard was Old Testament in the synagogues. The word of grace. Do you remember when the Lord proclaimed New Testament Jubilee in Luke 4? The Lord picked out 
a word of grace from Isaiah. So here, this indicates strongly a change of dispensation, a change of God's arrangement in His economy. Dennis, we were all inspired when we got into the marvelous word spoken by Peter in Acts chapter 2. His speaking was full of the Spirit and power on the day of Pentecost and following. But contrast that speaking at that time to what is now coming forth from the Apostle Paul in these chapters of 13 and 14. Well, of course, Peter touched, very much touched the matter of the resurrection and ascension of Christ, and Paul did likewise, but he emphasized it more, especially in this particular portion in Acts chapter 13, in 33 through 35, Paul mentions the holy and faithful things of David. This is a quotation from Isaiah 55, 3, where it speaks about the sure mercies of David. But Paul interprets the holy and faithful things of David as Christ in resurrection. Uh, the real mercy of God is not just to have God will have pity on us because we're poor and we're pitiful and he just sympathizes with us. No, the real sure mercies of David or the real holy and faithful things of David is none other than Christ himself in resurrection available to us every day. And this is phenomenal, Chris. This is really outstanding. Of course, I heard you and yesterday, you and Ron talking yesterday about the only begotten son becoming the firstborn son, which is also implied in the section. Uh, a marvelous, marvelous revelation. I don't think we need to get into it today because it was covered such a thorough way yesterday. But this is a little comparison between Paul and Peter's presentation. Yeah, it seems, Dennis, that... Um these things that Paul is touching, though, as you mentioned, somewhat on the same vein, they were both talking about the resurrection. That's right. We're, but we're, we've gotten to another level here. That's correct. Uh, for Paul to bring out these uh, holy and faithful things or the mercies of David and identifying those with the resurrected Christ and in, in bringing forth this whole notion of Christ being begotten in his resurrection. That's correct. Uh, these are beyond, and these are really now uh, getting beyond the surface and deeper into the heart and the real economy of God, aren't they? That's correct. The real economy of God is just this resurrected Christ available to us, doing something in us, being dispensed into us, and adding himself into us. And Paul brings it out in a very clear way. Dennis, let's go back to Witness Lee. We've got one very enjoyable section left. Now, we can go on a little further to see Paul's wisdom in preaching the gospel. In chapter 13, mainly he preached to the Jews based upon the revelation of the Old Testament concerning Christ. And now in chapter 14, he was preaching to the Gentiles, especially to the Greeks. They did miracles, but they paid too much attention to the miracles. Right away, I tell you, they considered Barnabas and Saul as deities. They thought Barnabas was Jews, and Paul was Hermes. Jews was the leading god in the Greek mythology. Then... Hermes was the herald, the messenger, the speaker for all the other gods. So they gave Hermes to Paul because Paul took the lead in speaking. 
And they gave Zeus to uh, Barnabas probably because Barnabas had a better appearance and a bigger statue than Paul. You know, in Corinthians, Paul told us his statue was not so big, neither so good. So the Greeks consider Barnabas, he must be the leading one, the leading deity. So gave him this title, Zeus. Now you can see what kind of characters these two apostles expressed to such an extent that the people would consider them as the deities in their mythology. These two apostles preach this way. Don't worship us as gods. We also are men of like feeling with you and bring good news to you that you should turn from these vain things, idols, to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all the things in them, not only so, who in the generations gone by allowed all the nations to go their ways. Then, verse 17, and yet he did not leave himself without witness, doing good, giving you rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling your hearts with food and gladness. Very good preaching. Based upon God's creation, eventually to touch the listener's feeling. Very short, brave, yet unveiling. And very touching. You better come to Paul's seminary to study of him. I repeat again. When you come to an audience of the uh, group that knew the Old Testament like the Jews, you don't need to preach the gospel to them based upon God's creation, telling them that God is the creator. They would say, we got to know this already. We can teach you the things. But listen, in chapter 13, Paul preached according to the Old Testament known by the Jewish peoples for generations. Point out to them, not God's creation, but point out to them Jesus in resurrection. The now, in this chapter, Paul prays to the very philosophical, thoughtful, logical grace, telling them how God is the creator of the heaven, the earth, and the sea, and all the things within these three categories. And then point out to them how good was God, all the time doing good, giving them the rain, giving them the uh, harvest that their heart might be filled with food and joy. You must consider wisely how this apostle prayed the gospel in such a wonderful way. Well, Dennis, in verse 15, the setting has now changed dramatically as Paul is no longer in the confines of the synagogue and addressing a predominantly Jewish audience, but he's fully surrounded by Greeks, by the Gentile unbelieving world. And he says in verse 15, Men, why are you doing these things? 
We also are men of like feeling as you, and announce the gospel to you, that you should turn from these vain things to the living God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all things in them. Uh, Dennis, it seems that not only his setting had changed, but Paul's way of speaking has also changed, I would say even dramatically. What does this show us concerning Paul's approach to the gospel? Well, we see here Paul speaking in chapter 13 of Acts was primarily to the Jews in the synagogue, and there he spoke according to the Old Testament, which all the Jews were familiar with, and pointed out Christ in resurrection. Paul's intention was to point out what kind of Christ is seen in the Old Testament. And this is his presentation to the Jews in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter 14, the audience is altogether different. Here you have people getting ready to worship he and Barnabas, thinking that there were some demigods sent on this earth. And here... Paul does not speak about the Old Testament. Rather, he points people to God's creation. It's a very touching word here, Chris, in verses 16 and 17, that God allowed all the nations to go their way, but he did not leave himself without a witness, doing good, giving rain, giving fruitful seasons, filling their hearts with food and gladness. This short word related to God's creation really touched the hearts of the hearers and made them open. We can see the result of this marvelous presentation. Well, the result, Dennis, was that Paul's success among the Gentiles was, uh, became the, really the cornerstone or the central feature of the move of the Lord on the earth from that time forward. In this dispensational transfer, of course, the Lord has never been through with anyone, and he's not completely through with the Jews. But the focus and now the thrust of his primary move on the earth really turns to the Gentile world. That's correct. Well, Dennis, this has been Enjoyable Fellowship, another life study that I would say uh, you and I benefited very much, I think, from the ministry of uh, Brother Lee and that based upon Watchman Nee and so many uh, men that had the Lord had used mightily in ages even before. And we're just grateful that we have a chance to be here, and it's been digested and cooked and served on a platter for us, Dennis, and this is a real privilege. I'd like to just say a final word to our radio listeners that there's nothing like the life studies. The life studies are truly remarkable in their presentation, yet so simple and so nourishing. Every life study is so edifying, and they cause us to love the Lord more, which is really the essence of God's economy, bringing us, pointing us, showing us the very Christ, the very lovely one, the very dear one in the New Testament, saving us from just self-effort, from our own uh, works, from our own things, bringing us back to the real focus of the New Testament, which is Christ himself. Dennis, I would just like to add a simple word. Amen. Amen. We can recommend very much these printed life study messages. They will enhance and deepen your enjoyment and appreciation of God's Word in a marvelous, marvelous way. If you would like that or any of the four that make up the entire life study of Acts, please call our toll-free number, and that's 1-888-LIFE-STUDY. That's 543-3788. Or ask for it when you write to us at Living Stream Ministry, Post Office Box 2121, in Anaheim, California, 92814, or when you send email to radio at lsm.org. For Dennis Agashi today, I'm Chris Wilde. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Life Study of the Bible with Witness Lee, produced by Living Stream Ministry. To contact us, please call toll-free 888 life study 
That's 888-543-3788. Thanks for listening today.